we were sitting around talking after we'd just eaten a meal, and we were reminiscing about different stories, and the topics of our weddings came up. And so we started talking about our, our weddings, then we started talking about our honeymoons, and then it became a friend of mine's turn to, to start talking. And he told us about his honeymoon. They went to an all-inclusive resort in Mexico. And he told us about how the first night they were there, they couldn't decide what they, what they wanted to eat, and so they just ordered pretty much everything because it was an all-inclusive and would just sample a little bit of everything. And, and then they discovered they could get room service at all hours of the night, and things could be sent directly to their room. And if they wanted cookies, cookies would be sent. If they wanted brownies, brownies would be sent. If they wanted pie, pies would be sent. The best of desserts, the best of meals. He said, I ordered a filet at 2 o'clock in the morning. A filet mignon was brought to his room, and they stayed there for a week. They didn't leave the resort, and he told us what a wonderful experience it was. And then the question came up. How much weight did you gain? <laughs> I mean, we're friends. You normally wouldn't just ask somebody, hey, how much weight did you gain when you went to a resort? But we were friends, so we decided that question could be asked. And in one week's time, he himself had gained 17 pounds in one week from being at the all-inclusive resort and overdoing it just a little bit. I texted him yesterday and asked if I could tell this story. And he said, what are you preaching on? That determines whether or not you can tell the story. And I said, don't worry about it. And he said, fine, I don't care. So Andy, if you're watching on the stream, thanks so much for watching. And I'm happy to report he's since worked that 17 pounds off. But 17 pounds in a week, why? Because once they had the taste for something, they just kept wanting it. It was good. It was all, he said, everything they had was absolutely delicious, and it was available to them at all hours, and it didn't cost them anything else. It had already been paid for, and so because it was delicious, they just kept eating to their heart's content. One bite after another, one food item after another, because once they had the taste, they just kept craving it. And this morning, we're going to look not at how to be disciplined people if we're ever at an all-inclusive resort, but we're going to look at how to live disciplined lives, how to live disciplined lives. We started last week something we're calling the cost of our salvation, and it's a look leading into Easter about what our redemption cost our Savior. Make no mistake about it. Salvation is available to us free of charge. It is God's free gift to us. But that does not mean that salvation was and is not costly. It cost God something. And in a sense, though it's a free gift to us, it changes things about us too that in a sense you could say cost us something sometimes. We're going to look at that dynamic today. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. It's a free resource that you can download in the app store that you utilize. Today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 6. If you have a traditional Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn there now. The New Testament book of Romans, Romans chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 19 in just a minute. And if you're joining us via the stream, thank you so much for joining us this morning. The verses will be available on the screen below. Last week we saw the incarnation, meaning last week we saw how Jesus humbled himself. And how he took on our form, he was fully divine and fully human, 
in, in the God-man, Jesus, but how he humbled himself just to become like us, to take on our flesh and to walk the world that he created and to experience the, the pain and the struggles that we experience. And Jesus experienced those things, and we saw the humility of Jesus, how he humbled himself, and he took on human form, fully divine, fully human, and how God as a result of what Jesus did has now exalted Jesus so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will one day bow, even if it's not right now, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And we saw the work of Jesus last week of, of becoming, of, of taking on human flesh and becoming the God-man and this week we see the cost, the cost of, of why, why that was even necessary. And so we look inwardly as we see that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. In Romans chapter 6, verse 19, we read these words. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We don't have time today to look at the entire chapter of Romans chapter 6. Romans is a fantastic book. Maybe one day we'll journey through the book of Romans together. Romans chapter 6 is a, a chapter rich in theological truths. And, and so we're just going to look at the, the portion of Romans chapter 6, which ties it all together. And that's the ending portion of chapter 6. But to get us started, I'm just going to allude to the first part of Romans chapter 6 this morning. And, and the Apostle Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, is writing about this tension that goes on in, in everyone that's made the decision to follow Jesus, that we were, once, we were once alive in sin and dead to Christ, but now as a result of the work of Jesus, as a result of what Christ has done for us, once we accept God's free gift to us, the salvation which is offered to us through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are now dead to sin and we are alive in Christ. But that doesn't mean that we always make the right choices. And so you might be a follower of Jesus, and maybe you're a brand new follower of Jesus. And so you're learning a lot of new things as you open up scripture, as you pray, as you walk with Jesus in your life, and you're learning a lot of new things. And there's this tension that goes on within you sometimes. And that tension is there are things that you don't want to do because you know they're wrong. You know that's not what God wants you to do, but you still feel drawn to them. And you love God with your whole heart, but you still feel drawn to do the things that you don't necessarily want to do. And if you've ever found yourself in that tension and felt like, well, I can't tell anybody about this. I can't admit it to anybody. I just want you to know that you're not alone. And it's not just that a couple people have, have wrestled with this in their lives. It's that every single person that's followed Jesus has wrestled with this in their life. And so maybe you've been following Jesus for a really long time and you still find yourself in this spot. The, the Apostle Paul later on in the book of Romans goes on to say that this isn't just us. He experiences the exact same thing. He experiences the exact same thing in his life. And the question then is why? Why is people that, that love God, why is people that want to follow God, 
Why do we still feel the draw to sin? Why do we feel the draw to do things that we know don't honor God? And the answer isn't some weighty, heavy theological truth. There are aspects of that in it. But it's really a much more simple answer than that. And the simple answer is this. Because sin seems fun. Sin seems fun. Or else we wouldn't do it. It seems like it's going to be fulfilling. It seems like it's going to be satisfying. It seems fun. And if we're honest, there are aspects of it which are. That's why we're drawn to it. That's why there's a struggle. No, it doesn't mean the end result's fun. And it doesn't mean that every step in the process is enjoyable. Just, just the opposite's true. But we can't just say, oh, there's no aspect of this that, that feels satisfying or that feels fun. Because if that were the case, then we wouldn't be drawn to it as we are. And so what happens when something feels satisfying or what happens when something feels fun? We want more. We want more. Maybe you've struggled with addiction in your life. And we, we recognize there's all kinds of scientific research and genetics can play a part in that, certainly. But, but at the base, at, at the foundation point, there was some point where maybe it's a substance, maybe, maybe it's drinking, maybe, maybe it's sexual. I, I don't know what it is for you, but if you ever find yourself addicted, there was something, there was that first time, and all of a sudden, it gave you a sense of euphoria. And you want that feeling again. And again. And again. And the problem is that sin is counterfeit. It promises a high. It promises a great feeling. It promises satisfaction. It promises fulfillment. But it always fails to deliver on those promises. And it delivers just the opposite. But you're chasing that feeling. You're chasing that high because you've had a taste. You've had a taste. And if you're honest, the taste was enjoyable. Doesn't mean you love every aspect of it. But there are aspects of that taste that were absolutely delicious and so you keep craving it i'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations if you find yourself there today i want to encourage you with this that you don't have to stay there and that god's seen your worst and he still loves you and that you're not the only person that's ever been created that's had to walk through this or had to endure it. So I just want to encourage you. It may seem hopeless right now, but it's not. And nothing could be further from the truth. And you are not alone. I'm speaking in human terms. Why? Because of your natural limitations. You once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness because there's the taste. And there's the craving, and you want more. But now, so now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Just because that's who you were, just because that's what you once chased, or maybe even that's just because it's who you are right now, doesn't mean that's who you always have to be. 
And this isn't some self-help thing that we're talking about here. This is possible because of the work of Jesus that, that can be done within us. God's work within us. This is a spiritual battle. And so there are self-help steps that you can take to improve your life. But if you're just trying to find an answer with a different routine or in bettering yourself by starting a different program, it's never going to be enough because there is a spiritual component to this. And that is why we had a Savior who came and died for us so that we can be set free. So that we don't have to be a slave to the things that have held us captive. And so the Apostle Paul writes here and he says, So now, because of what Jesus has done, in light of the work of Jesus, you choose a different path for your life. You now go be a slave to something else. Instead of being a slave to that sin, you've had a taste. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, you've had a taste of what it's like to live in intimacy with your creator. You've had a taste of what it's like to experience forgiveness and grace. You've had a taste of what it's like to no longer be held captive and no longer be held prison to all of your mistakes and all of your shortcomings. You've had a taste to live the life that God wants all of us to live. That is a life in community with our creator. And the apostle Paul writes, because you've had that taste, that's what you need to crave. That's what you need to crave. Because this taste, this will lead to something that is fulfilling. This taste, this will lead to something that is satisfying. But it's not going to be easy. And there's a process that needs to go on in our lives. And it's, it's something called sanctification. And that is where our lives are continually being worked on by God so that we look more like Jesus tomorrow than we did today. And then on Tuesday, we look more like Jesus than we did on Monday. And on Wednesday, more like Jesus than we did on Tuesday. And so forth. That's the role of sanctification. That's what needs to go on in every person's life that follows Jesus. We go on into verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So the implications of this are that when we don't follow Jesus, our lives are going to look like hell. And why wouldn't they? If I'm not following after God, if I haven't given my life to Christ, why would I make God honoring choices and decisions with my life? If I don't have the hope of Jesus in my life, why wouldn't I pursue whatever makes me feel good? Why wouldn't I pursue those, those brief moments of euphoria? If I haven't tasted the salvation that Jesus provides, why wouldn't I chase after? Because there's an emptiness, there's a longing, there's a void within me. And so of course I'm going to go after whatever I can to fill that void. It only makes sense. When your life looks like hell, you don't really care if you, if you bring God honor with the choices that you make. And this has to be fundamental to our understanding of both ourselves and our experiences, but also of other people and the experiences that they experience in their lives. 
If they don't have a relationship with God, why would they be concerned about honoring God in every area of their life? Does that mean that people that don't follow God can't live moral lives? No, it doesn't mean that. But all of us that follow Jesus have areas of our lives where things are out of balance. All of us that follow Jesus have areas of our lives that God works on. And if we weren't following after God, we wouldn't pay attention to those things. We wouldn't give them any time, any attention. We would just continue to live however we wanted to. And sometimes there's frustration and there's so much tension towards people that love and follow Jesus, towards other people that haven't made the decision to follow Jesus because we want so desperately for them to experience the love and the grace and the forgiveness that we've experienced through what Jesus has done for us on our behalf. And we look at their lives and we see that they just don't get it. And we just have to remind ourselves that of course they don't. Of course they don't. And when we see them with those eyes, it brings about compassion. And it should stir within us a desire for, for us to do all that we can to share the hope that we have experienced through a relationship with Jesus with those people that haven't experienced that hope. We should look for opportunities to tell our story. We should look for opportunities to tell that person about the difference that following God can make in their lives. But don't expect people that don't love and follow Jesus to live lives that model someone who loves and follows Jesus. Don't expect people that don't love and follow Jesus to be concerned about honoring God with their lifestyle and with their lives. Because when you were a slave from sin, when you were a slave of sin, you were free from righteousness. You don't care. You don't care. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And so the Apostle Paul just asks, how is that going for you? How's that working out? When you were chasing after all those things, when you weren't concerned about honoring God with your life, how happy were you? How fulfilled were you? How much joy did you have in your life? How's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? Because the fruit you were getting at that time, how is it? And sometimes, not in a judgmental tone, but sometimes in a tone of concern, love, and care. I just combined all three of those words in a new word, and concern, you're welcome. But, but sometimes in an attitude of concern, of love, and care, just gently ask somebody that isn't following after God, whose life isn't being lived according to the principles of the scriptures. How's that working out? We're told the answer here without even being told the answer. At the time, but what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? What is the result? Notice too, there, there has to be a difference. There, there has to be a difference. 
What was, the, what was the fruit of those decisions, those decisions that you're now ashamed of? We all have regrets. We all have choices in our lives that we wish we didn't make. But if our lives are just being lived right now as one giant regret, if our lives are being lived in the same way as, as, as we've made the decision to follow Jesus, as our lives were lived before we made the decision to follow Jesus, then we don't really understand what following Jesus is all about. Because he says, your life doesn't look now like it used to look. And the reason it doesn't look now like it used to look is because there were things that were present in your life that didn't need to be present in your life. There were things in your life that you needed to change, that you needed to work on, that you needed to fix. That's true of all of us. But I I just want to caution you, if you've made the decision to give your life to Jesus, if you've made the decision to follow after God, and it's made no difference whatsoever in how you live your life, then you've missed a really big part of the equation. He says, there are things in your life which you are now ashamed of when you look back. There are things in your life that you now regret when you remember those things there's got to be a difference between how we live as people that love and follow jesus than how we lived before we made the decision to follow jesus than how the rest of our culture and society lives it's got to be that difference and what's the result What's the result of just doing those things, those things which we've all done, which those of us that have now made the decision to follow Jesus look back on and regret and are ashamed of? What's the result if we just continue to live in those things? What's the result of those actions in and of themselves? Death. Death. Death is the result. Why why do relationships die? Sin. Sin. Selfishness. Betrayal. Lies. That's why relationships die. Sin. You know, sometimes sometimes we see very clearly the, the results of sin. And sometimes it's much more subtle. It's much more subtle, but make no mistake that it all leads to the same point, and that point is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. But now, because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, but now, because you've received the work that God has done for you on the cross, and you've said, God, I want to live for you, but now your life should look different. You're not stuck in doing what you used to do. You're not stuck craving after that taste, that taste of sin. You're not stuck just chasing after all of those things that don't ultimately provide fulfillment and don't ultimately provide joy. You're not stuck there anymore. Or are we? No, theologically we're not. Personally, sometimes we stay. Because for whatever reason, 
We just want it. We just convince ourselves it's going to be fulfilling, it's going to be satisfying, it's going to be fun. He says, no, 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 no. You have made the decision to give your life to Jesus, so now you be a slave for God. You be a slave for God. You die to your own desires. You die to your own wants. You Go be a slave to God. And what is the fruit that comes from this? The fruit of what happens every time we follow that taste and every time we crave those, those choices that we know ultimately aren't in line with what God wants us to do. The, the result of that is death. And here we're told what the result of us becoming slaves to God is. And the result of us becoming slaves to God is that we are set free. And that this process leads to our sanctification, which means our lives do look more and more like Jesus. But growth is seldom easy. And it's seldom fun. Growth is seldom easy and it's seldom fun. My wife and I, we have two boys and, and they're... They go on different growth spurts, and we know when they're going on growth spurts because the grocery bill already doubles when they're going on growth spurts because they just, I mean, it's, it really is a thing to marvel at how much food they can put down. It's, it's impressive, and just, just watching that. But sometimes with, sometimes with them growing in a growth spurt is, is them just complaining about pains on their bodies. Sometimes they just want to. They just want to lay on the couch, and, and they just want to. They just. They just want to lay because they're miserable, and their bodies just hurt because they're growing, and they're developing, and it's a good thing that they're growing. We'd be concerned about them if they weren't growing. But sometimes we've got this idea. That because we love and follow God, because we, we've given our hearts to Jesus, that, that growth is going to be easy and it's always going to be fun. Because following God is a fulfilling adventure. And it is. But make no mistake about it. Growing can be painful. It can be incredibly hard. Becoming more like Jesus oftentimes comes with a price. That there are aspects of your life that you have to put aside. Sometimes there are relationships that you can no longer hold on to. There are going to be situations and circumstances that God allows you to endure that you will not understand at the time, and you will beg him to take from you. And God will not. And in that time and in that season, you will wonder, God, do you not love me? God, why won't you answer this prayer? God, why won't you take this from me? And the answer is because God loves you more than you can even fathom. But he's working on you. He's working on you. And this is all part of the process. And the result is life. The result is worth it. 
but it's a struggle. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The paycheck of sin is death. It's death. It's a physical death, which we're all going to experience. And sometimes we have a direct result of, of why sin leads to death. Sometimes we can just very clearly see it. There are certain diseases, there, there are certain conditions that we look at and we say, absolutely, sin contributed right there. We see it. It's on full display. Sometimes we, it's, it's a little more hidden. But make no mistake, all of us will die physically because of the choices that we have made, because we have sinned and we have fallen short of God's standard. And that is the standard of perfection. And the result of that, the paycheck of that, is death. That's a physical death, and it's also a spiritual death. It's a spiritual death which alienates us from our Creator. And that's where we find ourselves. Every single one of us. That is the human condition. That we find ourselves there. The paycheck of sin is death. It's physical and it's spiritual. But the verse doesn't end there. But the free gift of God is eternal life. It's life everlasting. In Christ Jesus our Lord. Why did Jesus humble himself? And come to this world in the incarnation for our salvation. Because he paid this price. We're still held account by our actions. That's why we die physically. But spiritually, we don't have to stay dead. When you give your life to Christ, to the work of Jesus on the cross, and when he rose again three days later, you have a greater transformation than you can even fathom. Because you cross over from death to life. And one day, The dead in Christ will rise and we will live forever with God, our creator. For there is no more sin and there is no more suffering and there is no more death. This is why when we baptize people here at Lakeside, we, we baptize by something that's called immersion, meaning we dunk you all the way under the water. You know, there's some churches that, that give you a, a sprinkle on the forehead. We're like, oh no, this is a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. That we partner with Jesus, Jesus in his death, his burial when we put you under the water, and his resurrection when we bring you back up out of the water. And the same thing happens to those of us that have placed our faith and trust in him. And I, I just want to encourage you, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and you haven't been baptized, we're, we're hoping to do baptisms on Easter, so come talk to me. We would love to talk to you about being baptized and going through that. And it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. And I just want to ask you the question. Today, as you look at your life, 
What are you craving? Is it sin? Or is it sanctification? Are you trying to find that fulfillment? Are you trying to find that fun? And something that always fails and never fully satisfies. Have you placed your trust in the Savior? And if you haven't, there's no time like right now. So I'm going to pray. And I would invite you, if you've never decided to give your life to Christ, if you've never decided to follow after him, in the quietness of this heart, whether you're in this room or watching online, to just repeat these words back to God and to accept the free gift that's available to you. Let's pray. God, fallen short as we all have I've chased after things that are fleeting that presented themselves as fun but have failed to satisfy I've sinned I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I recognize that you are the payment for my sin. I recognize that you are the payment for my mistakes. And the work of your son Jesus, when he humbled himself, came to this world and died on the cross for me, for my sin. God, I know that's not where the story ends. And three days later, he rose again. So I want to live for him. Jesus, come into my life and help me follow you. God, I pray for the people that have prayed that prayer for the first time today, people that prayed that prayer ages ago. You would help us all honor you with our lives. We would endure the pain Thank you for your gift. May it impact how we live each and every day. In the name of our Savior, Jesus.